Hello, welcome to the Sweep Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hall. Good morning. How are you today? Yeah, I'm all right. It's an early one, isn't it? It's it is, currently yeah. 8.52 on a Monday morning, and um, we've got quite a lot to, to get through in quite a short space of time before you jet off down to London. So, uh, so yeah, let's get cracking. Yes, indeed. It's the battle at the bottom first. I think we've uh, we've got to the... The entertaining end of the season, and there's entertainment galore at Swansea with a 4-1 win over West Ham. Where's that come from? Um, well, I've been very critical of Swansea over the last few weeks, despite their good run, and I've sort of said, look, I think that it's going to come to an end and all this sort of stuff, and they they look like a bit of a juggernaut at the moment, don't they? Carvajal's got them playing in a way that they absolutely go for the jugular, and it's something that we've seen with Tottenham over the season, where they get one goal and then they just press for the second to try and kill teams off and Swansea seem to have that mentality at the moment and West Ham just couldn't deal with them on Saturday I know that that a few of the goals came from set pieces and David Moyes will be disappointed with that because the marking from those was um, nothing short of tragic at times Um, those players just didn't seem bothered about picking the the attackers up and that that, that led to goals But, but I think that West Ham will be very very worried after this result because it, it again it, it just drags them closer to where they don't want to be yeah that's it I mean every week it seems to be that one team's dragging the other team back in when they win and that's very much the case with this as well I think they're three points ahead of the drop now and yeah they're they're in big big trouble because they are dropping like a stone as well and when you're conceding as many goals as they are you you kind of on a hide into nothing before you even get started it's a, it, it is a strange one as well because you looked at the way that he set up at Liverpool last week and that was poor yeah um set up defensively this week he went with a much more attacking team um he had players in the team like Lanzini like Hernandez who you would expect to be able to bring them goals and they got the same result I think Swansea pressed them very well though uh, I don't think they gave them a lot of the ball and and, and obviously the goals were mainly errors, but you've got someone in Ki Sung Young who seems to be having quite an effect on that side at the moment. He's obviously a very good player. He scored the first goal, scored a crucial goal the other week as well. And I think, you know, they're having some great individual performances. I've picked out Jordan Ayew as well, who obviously watched him with Villa for a few seasons. And he was one of the most frustrating players because he's got so much ability, but he's got the also the ability to just self-destruct. He would get sent off, he'd just be fouling people and just sulk him, whereas I think he's got his head down, he's working very hard for this team and he's he's scoring regularly, he's assisting and obviously he's got his brother there now as well, I don't know whether that's a bit of a comfort blanket for him. Quite possibly, they have played together before haven't they, yeah. um, and, and I think they did quite well, was that over in France and yeah, um, yeah it's it, it's a strange one because you don't see that many um, brothers playing together do you, other than the the Neville's, you got any others that, that sort of spring to mind? You, it's just not one no, of those no, things no, that you no, see no. very often, is it? Um, you look at the fixtures for these two coming up and um, West Ham are at home to Burnley in a game that if they don't win, then there's a good chance that they're going to be in the bottom three because yeah. looking at the other fixtures, the teams down there will probably pick points up. Newcastle are playing Southampton, Huddersfield are playing Swansea. So straight away, those three games could quite easily turn the table round a little bit there might be a little bit of movement and that's where it keeps that excitement level up like you were talking about and I think Jordan Ayew going back to your original point it is an interesting one there was a stat I think it was on match of the day it could have been on um, a different highlights package that said that he's only ever scored Premier League goals in the second half he's never scored a first half goal and um, you just wonder if he could have that level of intensity and concentration throughout the whole 90 minutes whether he would be good enough to play a 
bit bit higher up in the league. Potentially, yeah. It's like I said, I think it's his temperament that probably lets him down. I think he's been okay since been at Swansea. Wouldn't surprise me to see him punch four players uh, next week. And to be honest, <laughs> that would be all right. I, I'd be I'd be quite happy to see them see them lose him for the uh, for the running because yeah, they look dangerous, Swansea. And um, I'm still going to say that they're going down. I've got to stick with my prediction. I can't can't sort of turncoat that quickly, but. Um, they're, they're, they're looking pretty good, aren't but they? But they're up to 13th, which you just... I mean, it shows how close it is, but, you know, a few weeks ago, you, you really did think they were dead and buried, and I don't think many people did give them a chance. But to see that they're approaching mid-table now, really, they're, you know, it, it's it's ridiculous. It's really good that it's that exciting down there. But the crazy thing is they started the day third bottom. So regardless yeah. of their form over the last few weeks, you just wonder where they would have been had they not had those results. And, and, and it just shows that teams like Stoke, I think West Brom are gone, but teams like Stoke, like Crystal Palace, the ones who are down there at the moment in the bottom three, you just see how much a win can do for yeah. you. And that should hopefully keep all of these teams together confidence-wise. They shouldn't get too down because they know that one result could literally turn the season. And they're at the John Smiths uh, this weekend. And Huddersfield were... Uh, back at Wembley, they were back at Wembley where they uh, had had a great day out last year, got promoted, but unfortunately it wasn't to be. They lost two 0 to uh, a fairly dominant Spurs side, who I think it was very much job done for them. Uh, it was the the usual suspects who were creating the chances, and Ali Kane, Eriksson impressing as ever. But man, who got the goals? Son, who's having a great season, and took them both very very well as well. I thought you just invented some uh, Scandinavian player there <laughs> for Tottenham that I wasn't aware of, Ali Kane, Eriksson. Um, yeah. They they did look good and and like we say about Tottenham most weeks when one of them isn't firing another one picks up the mantle and this week it was Son's turn and we've talked about how consistent he's been this season he's really stepped his game up he's gone to another level and um, it took him a little while in the uh, in the Premier League because when he came over from Germany a lot was expected of him and he didn't really do a huge amount in his first season but it just shows what a consistent run of games can do for a player like that and when you're on the fringes it can be very difficult and you look at how good Eric, Eric Lamella was for them last season and then he obviously had a long spell out with injury and him coming back into the team because he's not getting those regular starts he's not looked anywhere near as good no. as he was previously but um but yeah they they all looked good on saturday kane Ali and, and Son all looked capable of creating chances for one another and, and it could have been a different score on a different day. Credit to Huddersfield because they did keep it down and I think that if you're going to go to Wembley and lose a game then to come away with a 2-0 defeat is probably not the worst result in the world. It doesn't damage your goal difference too much and it's not something where you're going to have to pick your players up off the floor because they've taken a, a real beating. So I think if they'd have been looking at their, their last two games, West Brom away, Tottenham away, if, if you'd have told them that they would have taken three points, they would have snapped your hand off. So I think they will still be confident going into that game next week, um, like, like like you say. And it's also after that as well. They've got two home games coming up against Crystal Palace as well the week after Swansea. So potentially if they pick six points up, that's, that's them more or less safe. And you know, they, I'm sure they can probably grind out another win and, and a couple of draws. But Huddersfield, to, to be out of that, if they can do at this stage of the season while it's all going on around them would be magnificent for them but Swansea and Crystal Palace will be no mean feats and you know they they're not going to roll over and let them uh, let them get the win so it it's it's going to be a really interesting one there seems to be two or three games every weekend that we we say are going to make the difference but it's different teams every single weekend as well that's right but I, and talking about Tottenham for a second i think that you um you look at Tottenham, I think it was about two weeks ago, they weren't even in the top five. No. Um, and it just shows what what a run of a few, a few victories can do for you. Similar to what we're talking about at the bottom, it can just propel you to 
um, a position where actually it's in your hands again. And I think that's what Pochettino will want. I think he'll want to be um, in a position because they've obviously got stuff going on elsewhere. They've got, they're still in the Champions League. They're still in the FA Cup. And he's never had to juggle this before. Tottenham have been in the Europa League previously and, and, and challenging in the Premier League. But normally in that situation, he's had two different squads. He's taken different players away in the Europa League, sometimes played some of the first teamers in the home fixtures. But now he's got the Champions League where he's going to have the same players going out as he is in the Premier League. And it will be a test over the next few weeks to see how fit those players are. People talk about Tottenham being the fittest team in the Premier League. And I know from his time at Southampton that Pochettino used to work with those players harder than any other manager. And the players said that they hated it initially, but then they felt so much better. And it will be key for them because they haven't got the biggest squad in the world and if they were to lose Kane between now and the end of the season you know that that would be their chances of of certainly any any progress in the Champions League pretty much gone and you think they'd probably struggle to get into the top four so it's imperative that they keep these players fit to maintain that challenge. Absolutely and you know they've got a little bit of a cushion now as well they're they're five points uh, between fourth and fifth and I think more crucially for Spurs fans there's 13 points between them and sixth place Arsenal which is, is a, a moral victory for them, let's say. But Arsenal didn't do themselves any favours yesterday, did they, when they went down 2-1 to Brighton at the Amex. And just another defeat and just a terrible week all round where they've lost the Carabao Cup final, 3-0 to Manchester City. Took them to the Emirates for the league game on Thursday. Lost 3-0. Very much a, a rolling over and a tickling of the tummy there. And, yeah, they've lost to Brighton now as well. I think... I was listening to this on the radio yesterday and I think they said that this is the first time in Arsene Wenger's career at Arsenal that he's lost four games on the bounce. Sounds about um, right. I think I think they said that's never happened before and the the manner of those defeats is probably what what matters more to Arsenal fans because they didn't challenge Manchester City in either of the two games that they played in the last week. Um, and then the other two results, away at Brighton, newly promoted Brighton, who fair play to them, have done well this season. Um but that Arsenal squad's so much better than that Brighton squad and they just didn't put anywhere near as much effort in yesterday as they should have done. And then you look at the defeat at home to uh, Ostersons in the in the Europa League. Yeah, that's that's a team who are a million miles away from, from this Arsenal team and it's frankly embarrassing and I'm very much of the opinion that Arsene Wenger should get to the end of the season. I think by sacking him now, they wouldn't achieve anything. They're not going to finish in the top four. Um, I think they just need to get through to the end of the season with him in charge and then say their goodbyes at that point because sacking him now would absolutely damage his legacy. Um, he's already tarnished it, but the the problem that Arsenal have is those players don't seem to be playing for him anymore and that's not good enough. That You're getting paid huge amounts of money. You're getting... The, probably the best lifestyle of any sportsman worldwide and you can't be bothered to lace up your boots and give 100% on a on a cold day in Brighton which it's it's just it's it's typically arsenal um and and you look at the comparison that you made between Tottenham and Arsenal at the end of the the, the previous game you used to talk about Tottenham being spursy and, yeah. and 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 making these sort of errors where they'd have a good run of games and then shoot themselves in the foot or something wouldn't go right for a few games and that's now what you're associating Arsenal with and something needs to change there in the summer because they are one of the biggest teams in the Premier League and at the moment they are not even able to compete with one of the smallest teams in that division. Absolutely and, and very much so yesterday the goals were very very predictable and you know they, they were 2-0 down within the first kind of quarter of the game and 
you're just on the back foot constantly then and, and they actually played okay and certainly in the second half and you know they got the goal just before half time they hit the post just before after that before half time as well and you thought potentially they're going to come back into it but there just wasn't that extra gear that they could go up to and you used to see Arsenal just playing teams off the park and that's very very far away from what what they used to represent and now they're just sloppy messes yeah you're right and and the defence for me is is the issue here because the the Arsenal of old could go to Brighton, put in a decent performance, win that game one nil. Um, but they don't have that defensive solidity. Peter Cech made a mistake for the second goal. Um, he's been searching for that elusive clean sheet to break the record for 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 a huge amount of time. Um, that doesn't show any signs of coming. Mustafi looks poor at the back. Koscielny looks a shadow of the player that he was. They have no real protection in front of that back four. I heard an Arsenal fan on, I think it was 6.06 on Saturday night, call in and say that they've never replaced Gilberto Silva. And um, Who would have thought he would be that? Well, yeah, but, but, but it's but right. Then, but then you right, think yeah. about it and, and you look at the defensive midfielders that they've brought in and they've just not been good enough. Yeah. Um, and that's the difference between a top four team and a top six team. You look at the defensive midfielders that you've got in that Manchester City team, you've got Gundogan, you've got people who can sit in front of that back four, you've got Fernandinho, you look at the Manchester United team, they've got people like Pogba, like Matic, same with Chelsea, they've got Kante in there, and you look at Tottenham, they've got Wanyama, Dembele, Dyer. Arsenal don't have that, they're weak in the middle, they're a soft centre team, and the more they put out these teams, the more the more they're going to get beat, they're not going to they're not going to get anywhere in the Europa League, Milan will beat them in the next round, I'm absolutely sure of it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's a quick, quick word on Brighton, worth it. And uh, they're in tenth place, thirty-four points, and looking extremely comfortable. And although they've got a tough run until the end of the season, I think they've probably got uh, the other five teams above Arsenal to play. But um, they could beat anyone on their day in this form. Uh, I think it's a, a a long stretch to suggest they will beat everyone. But you know, they probably need another four. Four points, maybe. I don't uh, think they even need that. I, I would say I, there was an article um, in the in the newspaper on Saturday that said that the average over the last twenty years is thirty six point six points. So if if you're keeping it with that, they need one more win. Yeah. And um, the the thing with Brighton now is they won't be feeling any pressure. And you saw that yesterday in the, in that in the way that they approached the game, having won at home comfortably against teams around them they they were in a no-lose situation yesterday against Arsenal I think Chris Hewton probably said to them go out and put the ball in the box early don't allow Arsenal to get set don't allow those defenders to get close to the attackers the second goal the, the, the cross from knockout was perfect don't get me wrong Glenn Murray was the only Brighton striker in the box there were four Arsenal defenders how he's managed to score is absolutely beyond me but that's the level that Arsenal are at at the moment. It's simple tactics from opposition managers which can exploit the weaknesses that they've got. So they are um, easy to predict, like I say, and unless they do something drastic between now and the end of the season, they could be playing Europa League football next year and that could be that. Yes, you're very, very right. And one team who probably won't be playing Europa League football is Liverpool, who will be in the Champions League, you would imagine. Um it was a, a Premier League classic fixture at Anfield on Saturday evening uh, against Newcastle. Just a 2-0 win for Liverpool, which seems a little disappointing now, doesn't it, really? Because we're used to seeing them steamroller teams and score kind of four or five goals. And I think the Newcastle side that we're visiting, we're going to make it tough for them. And there's no doubt about that. But um, 
and I don't think we expected anything less than a Liverpool win, but I think it was quite a disappointing game on the on the grand scheme of things. No, I mean, it wasn't what you would expect from Liverpool, and, and, and like you say, we've seen them go out both in Europe and in the Premier League of late and, and beat teams comfortably, and um, similar to what Huddersfield did at Tottenham, really, Newcastle dug in. Yeah. Um, they didn't allow themselves to concede silly goals they kept the scoreline down and like Klopp said after the game if you'd have offered him two 1-0 wins against West Ham and Newcastle he would have bitten your hand off Um, they've come away scoring six goals and only conceding one and I think that's probably the area that we should concentrate on with Liverpool not I know that Salah deserves the plaudits for another goal and a decent assist from Chamberlain that's fine Um, but I think that the thing that we criticised Liverpool for pre-Christmas was their lack of ability to close games out because of their, their, their weakness in that central central area, both defensively and in midfield. Since Virgil van Dijk's gone in there, he's made a huge difference to the defence, but also his communication between the two players in front of him, and you saw this on Saturday with the way that him and Henderson worked together, has been absolutely crucial. Um, I still think Liverpool need to bring in a better defensive midfielder in... Um, in which, the summer, which showed when you were going through Manchester City, Chelsea, Manchester United's defensive midfielders, I was going to raise that point when you were saying that because you didn't say Liverpool, and I thought, but that is completely indicative of the the team and the squad that they have at the moment. Jordan Henderson, for me, is not good enough to to be in that upper echelon of, of players. No, and had that been a better attacking team on Saturday against Liverpool, then you probably would have seen them struggle. But Van Dijk's able to talk players through games, and Lovren looks like a change player since Van Dijk's gone in there because he's got a better central defensive partner with him. If Liverpool are able to bring in somebody in the sort of Wanyama ilk in the summer, I know they've been linked with him, then that could be the the key, along with the goalkeeper, because although Carrius did okay on Saturday, made one decent save from Diame, he's still not a top goalkeeper. And if they strengthen those two positions, then you pretty much covered throughout the pitch. Yeah, I was going to say about Carrius. I think he, again, re- reflects the, um, the, the marshalling of the defence that Van Dijk's doing. He's given him a lot more confidence and... You know, it's natural for any goalkeeper to be struggling when your defence is just leaky. You've seen with Peter Cech. He's still a quality goalkeeper. He's not up to the standard he used to be at. But, Christ, I wouldn't want to be stu- I wouldn't want to be stood behind that Arsenal defence and that Liverpool defence pre-Christmas. Whereas now, you've got that confidence that every ball that comes into the area will be at least headed away or there's at least that little bit of communication between the lines that you're not going to be getting peppered with shots from you know 30 20 yards so i i think it's huge credit to um klopp for eventually realizing what the issues were but as you say i think there's still a lot more work to go absolutely right and because i've been so positive about virgil van dyke i just want to mention something i don't know if you saw this or not this week but jose font made the move to china um, last week to uh, to try and get into the Portugal squad for the World Cup in the summer. Made his debut on Saturday. Lost 8-0. <laughs> gave away a penalty. <laughs> so It's not um, like him to give away a no, penalty. No, 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 exactly. So I, I just just to sort of balance the uh the ex Southampton defenders there, it was uh, it was it was nice to see one of them still still doing the usual thing when they depart St Mary's. <laughs> Newcastle themselves didn't offer much and they remain just two points above the drop zone and it's a huge game next weekend against Southampton. A real six pointer some would say and as we've said, you know, they lose, they get dragged in further and, and obviously they'll be leapfrogged by Southampton, but if they win, gets themselves out of it a little bit and obviously pushes Southampton further down as well. 
I think we need to move on to Southampton, don't we? Yep, the nil-nil has made it into the first half of the running order for the first time all season and for all the wrong reasons <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Um, go on, you, you talk positively and then come to me on this one. Yeah, I mean, both sides desperate for the win, but it was, you know, it was a very nervy first half, half and I think either side were really wanting to take too many risks. And second half, however, a bit like last week, Southampton went a little bit more direct and... They made the changes that were necessary and, and, you know, they, I would say, probably will be disappointed not to take the three points. I think we deserved the win on on Saturday based purely on the last sort of 20, 25 minutes. And I was um, texting one of our friends who's a a big Stoke fan after the game and uh, he he said very similar to what what you've just said there, that there were were far too many nerves on show and and, and neither team wanted to lose uh, rather than one team particularly wanting to win. And um, I'm... At full time on Saturday, I was disappointed, but I think that there's no point as a Southampton fan being too down about it because it is what it is. We've got eight games to go. We've got the squad of players that we're dealing with. We've got the manager. That's not going to change between now and the end of the season. You can be down in the dumps about it and that can then have an effect on the players when they when they play the next game at home. And I think that the way that they have to approach it is is really in a similar way to Swansea and just, just go and play with no fear. I would say... And and this is this is my honest opinion. I would say that we probably have the best squad in the bottom half of the Premier League. Um, and the difficulty is knowing that those players' potential is just not anywhere near being met. If we can get a win at Newcastle next week, then I think we'll be safe. Not on that basis, but I just mean I think that would be the a springboard that we need. Yeah. Um. We our, our next two games. In fact, our next four games are away from home. Um, three in the league and one away at Wigan in the FA Cup quarter-final. Our next two away from home are Newcastle and um, West Ham. If we don't win either of those two, I think we're gone. And, and and this is what I said a couple of weeks ago. I said that it wouldn't be fair to judge the season until our next four fixtures. Well, two of those have gone now. That was Burnley and, and Stoke. And really, we should have been picking up three points from those two games. Yeah. We've ended up with two, so we're still in touch. But I think you're now putting more pressure on the away games, which is probably not a bad thing because we've been poor at home but um the issue with 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 Saturday was that he didn't learn his lessons from from last week at Burnley last week at Burnley for the last 10 15 minutes we had Gabbiadini Josh Sims on and it made a huge difference and we uh, we got an equalizer and it's no coincidence that when he brought Gabbiadini on and um had Sims playing as well on on Saturday that we looked a lot better so it's it's pretty simple for me start those two against Newcastle hope for a better result um and I think that it's getting to the stage now where a point probably isn't enough for any team in the bottom three. No, and I mean, Stoke will take take some positives. Uh, looked, looked solid and Jack Butler made some good saves and they kept a clean sheet against the side that were creating chances, but they didn't create much themselves. And I think, as we said last week, you wonder what they offer when Shakiri isn't scoring. I think he had a, a good chance in the first half, but other than that, there's very little. Crouch came on at half-time, which I think was, was forced, but... You know, that changes the, the style of play that you're going to go with because it makes you a lot more direct, which is obviously easy to read. Sometimes it's difficult to play against, but I think particularly when you're the attacking side constantly, it just negates having that target man up there. That's right. And Stoke, when you look at their two two fixtures of late, they've had Leicester away and Southampton away, and they probably would be happy with two yeah, two yeah. points from those two, um, especially the Leicester point. I think that, that means more than the point on Saturday. Um 
I'm still not convinced that they're going to go. I, I've still got a feeling that Paul Lambert might be able to get them out of it. And all the time that they're in touch with the teams above them, then then obviously they're, they're, they're well worth a shout. And there's... I think Brighton are safe now. I don't think that they'll get dragged into it. I think it's going to be two from Stoke, Palace, Southampton, Swansea, Newcastle and Huddersfield. West Ham? And, no, I don't think West Ham no. will go. I think they'll probably have enough. Although at the moment they look they look precarious, I think that they'll, they'll probably have enough about them. They've got more home fixtures towards the end of the season than away fixtures because of what happened at the start yeah. of the season. So I think that will be enough to get them over the line. And they've also got some key players coming back from injury over the next couple of weeks. They've got um, Masuaka coming back from his from his ban as well. So he'll be like a new sign. And he, he, he looked brilliant before he made that huge mistake at, at, at Wigan. And, and I think that West Ham will probably be all right. So I think it'll be two from, from the teams that I've just mentioned. And I'm just keeping everything crossed that Southampton <laughs> managed to get across the line. I think that's probably everything from the battle of the bottom, uh, but we'll see you'll be joining the Premier League next year after this short break. Sorry, guys. I, I was going to, you know, kick it up the other end and just put one right in their fucking goal hole, but no dice. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sweep Podcast, and we are going to the Championship where not a huge amount happened. <laughs> so about half of the games that were uh, postponed due to the inclement weather. However, we did get a huge win for Middlesbrough on Friday night who smashed Leeds United 3-0 at the Riverside thanks to a Patrick Bamford hat-trick. Who'd have seen that coming, eh? Yeah, Patrick Bamford struggled, hasn't he, throughout his career and uh, only really found his feet over the last couple of months at at Middlesbrough. And I think, obviously, Pulis going in there has given him a bit of confidence. But, yeah, looked like like a different player on Friday night. Absolutely. And the win pushed Borough into the playoffs, but it only lasted less than 24 hours because Bristol City went one better and beat Sheffield Wednesday 4-0 at Ashton Gate. And another hat-trick in this game that came from Bobby Reid. And it's a huge win given the average form in recent weeks of the West Country boys following their Carabao Cup exploits. The other action at the top of the table saw fifth place and recent strugglers, Derby County, host the form side in the league, Fulham. And the form continued as Fulham took away the three points with a 2-1 win and strong start when they were 2-0 up in the first quarter. And that's Ryan Sessegnon and Mitrovic, who we spoke about last week, and he's on fire down there. And Fulham fourth, just a point behind Villa in third, but obviously having played one more than the others. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about them. They're uh, they're on the march. Yeah, they've, they've done this over the last couple of seasons, haven't they? They've yeah. sort of had that late run, um, but it's always been for a playoff spot. This year, maybe they've timed it absolutely perfectly. And uh, it, it, like you say, it wouldn't surprise you to see them get over the line and, and, and possibly possibly steal the uh, the second place. I think the important thing for them, they're beating the sides around them. You know, they beat Villa, Wolves and Derby in the last three or four games. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's testing times and it's going to be an interesting one. But down at the bottom, there was action where... There were losses for Bolton, went down 3-1 at home to local rivals Preston North End, and also Birmingham City lost 2-1 away at Nottingham Forest. Both Bolton and Blues remain in the bottom three with Sunderland who picked up an important point away at Millwall, but it's wins they're lacking now and, and they're four points from safety having played one more game than some of the others and I think that potentially could be the bottom three and that you know there's some big clubs in there. Um, I think Birmingham haven't been down that that far in in a number of years and Sunderland certainly haven't and you know Bolton as well are, are a big big club and they're a, a big club with big traditions and they won't want to drop out of the uh, of the championship either no no you're right and and on the uh, on the Birmingham point obviously they've they've sacked Steve Cottrell and got Gary Monk in there and just a weird move all around for me because surely 
Gary Monk doesn't want a relegation on his CV. He was one of the most exciting coaches in, in English football recently and uh, didn't necessarily do a huge amount to tarnish that reputation when he was at Leeds and then went to Middlesbrough. It didn't work out for him. But I would have thought that he would have probably waited until the summer and picked up a better championship job because Birmingham are obviously a, a, a relatively decent-sized club for that division. But at the moment, it looks like they're only going one way. They're a toxic club as well. There's so much happening behind the scenes there. And you, you wonder what that will do if they do drop out of the championship. And like, like most clubs, I think the only saving grace for them is there's probably still six sides that could realistically go down um, and, and it's going to be a real battle between them and, and there's no doubt some games between them as well which very similar to the Premier League some of them will push themselves up and some of them will go the other way so it's 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 very interesting at the top and the bottom and there's very much a middle pack that aren't involved in anything in the Championship but yeah, I'm really looking forward to the uh, conclusion of the season. Talking about a middle pack that aren't involved in anything, Jesus let's go Christ. to Germany. So bored of this. Our boys, Hertha Berlin. So the lads lost. 1-0 away at Schalke. Um, and they continue to sit in 11th place. They went down to a 37th minute goal to Marco Pschaka. And the result leaves Schalke best the rest in second. And like I say, Hertha well and truly in mid-table. Their European hopes look fragile at this stage. And... They're going to have to go on a bit of a run, I think, between now and the end of the season to have any chance of really troubling the top six. Um, the lads possibly deserved a little bit more out of this one as they were pretty dominant in the second half but didn't actually create much in the final third. They are at home to 13th place Freiburg on Saturday in a game that they really need to win to avoid their season fizzling out altogether. So join us next week for another Bundesliga update. Sir Alex, uh, if um, the owners of Man United gave you a blank cheque um, over the summer and, and allowed you to bring in any one, just one, of Barcelona's team from tonight, who would you sign? That's one of the most stupid questions I've ever heard in my life. Pobre <laughs> 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 Bascarano. <laughs> you test my patience. Welcome back to the Sweeper Podcast and it's time to round up the Premier League. We're going to take a trip to the King Power, Leicester 1, Bournemouth 1. But that doesn't tell the half of it, does it? No, it doesn't. Bournemouth, as ever, showed their inconsistencies in this game. Plenty of chances, gave Leicester plenty of chances and also managed to defend out a lead for about 70 minutes after Josh King bagged a penalty in the first half. But probably should have had another penalty, which they'll no doubt be aggrieved at. However, they'll be even more aggrieved at conceding the 97th minute equaliser. I blame the goalkeeper for this. Me too. I'm very, very surprised that nobody's sort of highlighted this. The 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 distance between the wall and the goal was such that you could have probably actually put somebody on the line. And does it matter then if one of the Leicester players stand between the wall and the goalkeeper to distract him? I wouldn't have thought so because that far out, if you're going to have to put the ball in the air, the keeper should quite comfortably be able to get to it. I thought Begovic's positioning was all wrong. Um, I think they had the wall lined up incorrectly. To allow Mares to be able to comfortably get the ball round the wall just showed a lack of organisation. It wasn't really a powerful effort. It was a very nonchalant way of doing it. But, I mean, it was effective. He obviously saw that gap and, and thought he could exploit it. And you've got to give him credit for, for going for it. Because realistically it would have probably been easier from that position to just chip the ball into the box and hope for a bit of a scrappy goal. But fair play to him for, for taking advantage of that. But I think it, Bournemouth, very frustrating. If they'd have held out for the win, 
would have been more or less safe, but now it's two points lost, which mean they're they are still very much in there. Yeah, I think they're five points above the relegation zone as it stands, and obviously that would have left them seven points above the relegation zone. I don't think they'll go down. I think that um, they should be okay. Again, from from eight games, they probably need two or three points, and that should be doable. Whoever you are, I think even West Brom will probably pick up two points for the next eight games, and um, Bournemouth should now be able to go and play play with with a little bit more confidence, which is something that they they need. Because that's the sort of team that 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 really struggles when they're in a bad patch. If they go on a a poor run of results, then then it doesn't seem to have an end in sight. And when they're doing well, then they can beat anybody. So I think that Leicester will be more disappointed than Bournemouth with this result when they look back at it. Yes, Bournemouth conceded in the last minute, but Leicester over the last two weeks have played Stoke and Bournemouth at home, and they've only picked up two points from that. And it looked recently as though they were going to cement that seventh place and that would be a really good return with Manchester City winning the League Cup the Europa League's going to go into to seventh you would have thought yeah. so that would have been Leicester's route into Europe and um, they've now got a battle on their hands with Burnley to ensure that they can, can try and get that spot I think that if Burnley got into Europe then they would probably struggle squad size squad quality is probably not good enough but the players that Leicester have got you could see them challenging and, and, and probably going pretty deep in the Europa League because they've got a good squad of players there and they've also got quite a large squad with European experience I think what they will be happy with is actually we could easily be having them in that bottom pack and the discussions that we're having At the start of the season they were dreadful and it wasn't until Claude Puel came in and, and just got them playing the way they used to play and got that consistency that you know they started to mould themselves into that mid-table side and you know, I, I still think they've got a decent chance in the FA Cup. I, I think they they could do it. Um, obviously, it'll be tough. But I think for them to just have a top 10 finish, given the start they've had, they'll be happy with it. But like you say, you would think there would be some sort of motivation to, to go and push on and try and get something else. And whether they're just cementing their place and just looking to build on it next season with, with Poil in charge. And I think a lot of it depends on what happens with the, the Riyad Mahrez merry-go-round, doesn't it? Yeah, and Mares clearly showed his passion for the club and the fact that they've welcomed him back when he went and celebrated with the uh, with the manager and the bench at the end of the game. And um, just keep him on side now for the next however many games, and then let him go in the summer. He's been a good servant to that club. Yes, he's screwed up a couple of times, but you look at who his agent is, and it's no real surprise. And no. I think we should probably just just leave that one there. Absolutely. And speaking of mid-table, Watford won, West Brom nil. We'll get onto West Brom in a minute. Um, I think I had my rant last week about Alan Pardew probably some more coming don't worry about that but Watford um they'll they'll be very very happy I think they're uh, 36 points and you'd thought you know they'll be no doubt happy with a mid-table finish and, and the opportunity to just uh, solidify their position in the Premier League and that's all they'll have looked at at the start of the season they probably wouldn't have looked any higher despite having a you know a very very good start I think they obviously have dropped off and um obviously they've had to change the manager as well which was unfortunate but this particular game, I, I put Troy Dean in my fantasy team because I thought he's just going to bully that defence. And if anything's happening for Watford, it's going to be through him. And needless to say, the goal came from him. And it was a great finish, but it was pure West Brom comedy of errors. Running into each other in the middle of the park, just gifting them the ball that created it. And it's just no surprise. That's right. I think that Troy Deeney deserves a lot of credit for the way that he's performed. We talked about him last week and he's become a focal point of that attack for Watford. And I thought that the way that he took the goal on Saturday was incredibly intelligent and nobody's really picked up on it. The fact that Ben Foster was on the edge of yeah, his area, um, if Deeney had gone low, then Foster could have saved it with his feet. The fact that he went high meant that Foster would have had to go with his hands. By doing so, probably would have been outside the area, would have risked being sent off. And therefore... 
all he really had to do was get it on target and it was always going to be a goal. And I think that Deeney's got that intelligence about his game that people don't often give him credit for. He's seen as this bustling, strong striker who doesn't necessarily have a huge amount about him other than that. But no, I think he's got a lot more that, that, that people don't often talk about. And, and, and I think that both him and, and Watford deserve credit because when Marco Silva was sacked, that club was in a little bit of disarray. And you saw a couple of players tweeting about how disappointed they were about the decision. And um, players like Richarlison, who looked so good at the start of the season, have gone off the boil completely. And it's taken somebody like Deeney to, to almost go into that dressing room and say, look, lads, we've got a handful of games remaining we've 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 got 10 games under the new manager i think they've won 3 out of 4 with him now so it just shows that that they've got a really good team spirit there that 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 they've not allowed that decision to sack one of some of the players favorite managers um and and and, and they've managed to get over that and obviously they will look to rebuild over the summer. They'll no doubt do do decent transfer business because they always do. The Pozzo family have yep. got this transfer network set up across Europe that will benefit Watford because they are now seen as their number one club. And um, it will be an exciting season for them next year. I, I, I don't see them getting dragged into it next season as long as they're able to keep the nucleus of the squad that they've got this year and add the undoubted quality that they'll be able to find in the summer. Which they should do because I think they've probably got quite a lot of quite unfashionable players as well. I don't think there's going to be too many clubs uh, coming in for some of those players. And I, I would imagine they're, uh, the, certainly the the bigger players and the star performers are on decent contracts as well. And they'll be on um, long contracts, you would have thought. So, yeah, it's, good. it's going to be interesting to see from Watford. And, and hopefully they can just have that little bit more consistency next year that, that sees them potentially even try and challenge for Europa League place. But I think just, just moving on to West Brom, I think that defeat, surely sees them doomed there I think eight points uh, off getting out of the relegation zone and obviously that's with other teams around them winning as well and you know they've got Leicester at home I think next week is it and you know Leicester will no doubt enjoy going to that uh, going to that environment to just play on the break and, and potentially wrap up a, a decent win that's right and Pardew uh, he just looked disconsolate after the game and um, I think he knows that that he's he's gone in there and failed them really and I know that the circumstances haven't been easy for him but I think he has to take responsibility for them because is it is it the right decision to take your players away on a on a trip when they're absolutely rock bottom and and allow them to go out on the piss is that something that's a responsible thing to do do you think that that's the sort of thing that a top six manager would do with his team would you ever associate those players with the antics that the West Brom players have caused of late and it's it, a part do you think yeah of course it's it is this, and, it? and and he he employs these sort of old school um managerial approaches to situations that that, that have to be dealt with differently nowadays and, and and it was interesting to know that that he had a bit of a bust up with Chris Brunt after the game against Huddersfield last week and he sort of came out and said well actually I think it's a good thing that this has been leaked to the press and the fans should know that there's passion in that dressing room well somebody's leaked that and, and, and the reason it's been leaked is because they're not happy with what's going on in those four walls and that's probably just one of the players trying to get Pardew out of there because they're clearly not enjoying the the way that he does things I think this is his last last opportunity in the Premier League I don't think that another club will will give him a go because he's proved now that that he's he, he's an unstable manager tactically and also professionally he just doesn't have the right approach for a team that need to try and pull together and get out of a situation and you think that West Brom may find a level in the championship and it's yet to be seen whether they'll stick with Pardew but I think that, that his style and, and approach to management doesn't belong in the Premier League anymore. I'm not sure it belongs in the Championship personally either. I don't think he will, um, or I, I think he'll struggle to get a job. 
Um, equally, I don't think he'd be willing to drop down. I think he's got too much of a um, ego. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it it's been said a few times. Uh, but yeah, I I don't think he will. I think he's um, he he won't drop down, and he will wait for another job like this to come up. But ultimately, there will be managers that are more favoured and that have done better in this situation. You know. Uh, we'll get onto it in a second, but Allardyce has struggled at Everton. But if the two of them are available, you would go with Sam Allardyce over Pardew in virtually every circumstance. Yeah. What are your thoughts on on the Tony Pulis sacking? Do you do you think if they'd have stuck with him that they would be where they are at the moment? Do you think it's do you think it is more the manager, or do you think that that actually they were doomed with the with the players that that they've got in that squad and that they were overachieving under previous previous management uh, i think the squad's probably good enough to stay up um i don't see them as being much worse than everyone else um i think there's, there's probably worse squads overall that said you know they clearly weren't playing for pulis or not playing for themselves and so it, it, it's difficult to really say whether he would have got a, another tune out of them i suspect probably not given the fact that you know pardew's speciality was the the kind of pardew springboard at the start of his, his tenure but um I think with Pulis, he, as as we've said before, he's got one style of play which would have suited that group of players. So actually, when it came down to it, they're lumping the balls into the area for the last eight games of the season. I think they'd be more likely to get something out of it than Pardew's attempt at trying to play a little bit more fluid football. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a good point. I think that. Um... West Brom need to change a lot in the summer and another club similar to Birmingham who are struggling off the pitch there's obviously real issues there with the ownership and um, good club and and they they probably will go down and, and obviously they need to try and get as much sorted early on in the, in, in the summer as possible because you look at the way that Sunderland have, have, have managed it this this past season and obviously they didn't get the house in order early early in the summer and that, that that's led to, to what's going on there now so it's uh, it's a slippery slope once you get onto it and, and, and you just wonder how far down they'll go. Speaking of slippery slopes and Sam Allardyce, Everton went down 2-1 to Burnley at Turf Moor and it was Burnley who were the stronger in this game and they did actually deserve the win. Um, Everton broke the deadlock and it's a much needed first goal for St. Tossen. After that it was just all Burnley. Um, Burnley probably should have won that by a- another two goals perhaps. Um, but the first goal was fantastic. It was a wonderful through ball from... Matt Loughton to slip in Ashley Barnes and I really like Loughton I uh, always liked him at Villa and thought he was a, a great player and I'd be surprised if he gets any mentions for England but I, I did tout him when he first came as, as having the potential but uh, I quickly took that back uh, when we were getting relegated uh, and, and near relegation but I think he's got some ability and, and he was playing uh, some fantastic balls through uh, to the strikers at the, at the weekend I think that's a, a good tactic that uh, Burnley can employ with the the big guys up front. Him and Ashley Westwood seem like players who are almost not good enough for the Premier League under some managers, but then too good for the Championship. And it sometimes takes a manager like Sean Dyche to get that extra ten fifteen percent out of them. Yeah. And um, no disrespect to him, but the um, the way that 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 Westwood played in in your relegation season, we went to watch Villa a couple of times, and they were really really poor. And he just didn't yeah. look like he had the um, wherewithal to compete at that level. The difference now is he's got players around him who are willing to pull him through games, and 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 he's got the likes of Jack Cork, who is is a complete unsung hero. But he will go about and he will do the dirty work, give the ball to players like Westwood who have that bit more vision in that Villa team. He was almost being asked to do both of those roles. Yeah, he was. He was. Um, he is not one for the tackle. Um, he would have. He is. He's 
best moments were when we had Idrissa Gay just doing that job as he, as he does for Everton, really just breaking up the play, just giving him the ball, and he could pick a pass. And I think one thing you will get with Ashley Westwood, he, he gives everything. He was um, he was the only player that was crying as he walked off the pitch when we got relegated, which says a lot. And he was, you know, he hadn't been there that long, really. He'd been there a couple of seasons, and it's good to know that it means that to, to certain people. It's, that was the same day that we uh, had Gabby Agbonlahor in the papers for hippie crack and all that stupid stuff so it goes it, you know it goes show that our highest scoring premier league striker was bloody in on the front page of the sun the day we get relegated whereas we've got someone like ashley westwood who just gives 110 percent every game so it's 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 a tough one when you've got that player who's not quite at that technical level that you really want him to be at but if he's given 110 percent you kind of have to just give him a go and you have to give him some credit as well let's move on and talk about another ashley <sighs> just a disgrace and I don't mind saying that Ashley Williams so let me just paint the picture I'm watching this game and I can see him and hear him shouting it's an outswinger it's an outswinger from the corner because of the left footer over the right side of the pitch so he's he's taking this corner it's the straightest corner you'll ever see he's just driven it hasn't yeah, he? yeah he's yeah. driven it in Ashley Williams is stood there on his toes waiting to go out as is everyone else, because he's just barked at them. Guess where it ends up? Right on Chris Wood's head. Who's marking him? Well, no one. Who should be marking him? Ashley Williams. What an idiot. What an absolute idiot. I Yeah, I get the logic, but don't just set up based on the fact that it's going to be an outswinger. You've got a job to do. Mark your man. It's a very basic sort of instruction to give your teammates isn't it and it's sort of Sunday league you see it's a left footer ridiculous. approaching a, yeah, a corner yeah. from the right hand side and you you immediately assume that that's the only way that they're going to be able to play a ball in and um, that wasn't the only mistake that he made obviously we, we I mean we've talked a lot about Ashley Williams this year and, and the the difference in the way that he's played at Everton versus the way that he played at Swansea and it almost looks like his 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 ego's got in the way of his football and ability and, and, and it's not a nice thing to talk about because we're not here to pam people but but obviously we well you clearly are. But but we've talked about Pardew and, and, and we talk about Williams, but I see professional footballers and, and, and you see the the fans who pay all this money to to follow their team around the country. Now why on earth has Ashley Williams got involved at the end there? Why's he got involved elbowed somebody not only once but twice um, yeah. he's gone he's gone once once with his right arm and then and then once with his left arm and Everton was still in the game at that point he had no complaints I think the referee did really well to spot it because you often see those sort of tussles and they can be missed off the ball and um, it's it's just a real letdown because Everton they probably didn't deserve anything from the game but equally that they, that, they that doesn't necessarily yeah it doesn't doesn't always stop stop that from happening and um he as one of those bigger players in that in that squad one of those more experienced players in that squad shouldn't be making basic errors like that you've got the likes of Dominic Calvert-Lewin Mason Holgate coming through in that team and they're learning from players like him and he's just not setting a good enough example for young English footballers to follow he needs to take more responsibility and I, I don't think he's got the fight anymore um I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him for the rest of the season and also if he gets sold in the summer. Um, that would be what I would do personally. See him at West Brom with Pardew, maybe. <sighs> he could go anywhere with Pardew, just piss off. Um, just I've, I've had enough of Pardew, I've had enough of Williams. Let's move on. Final game of the weekend. Uh, we've, we've left them till last, and that's Manchester City 1, uh, Chelsea 0. 
dominant performance from City. Weren't really challenged at all by Chelsea, who didn't register a shot on target, had less than 30% possession, and yeah, just what, what did Jamie Redknapp say? The death of football or something ridiculous like that? Something like that, a crime, a crime yeah, um, to just... football or something like that. I, I mean, it's, it's not often I agree with Jamie Redknapp, <laughs> but I think in this situation you have to. It was a game that I was really looking forward to. Two of the, the I know Chelsea didn't start the day in the top four, but two top yeah. four teams, and um, I. I expected a decent game. I think that when I heard that N'Golo Kante wasn't playing, I thought even better because I thought that that would stop Chelsea from being maybe over-cautious and over-defensive. And I thought that the, the way that Chelsea had dropped over the past few weeks, that they might have to go there and actually try and get something out of the game. City have played twice um, Sunday, Thursday, once in the League Cup. You know how much a League Cup final can take it out of you. Obviously, it didn't against Arsenal. They weren't really <laughs> out of second gear. But I, I thought following the result on Thursday night, although City were going to be in... in in the mood to obviously go out there and attack. I thought Chelsea might come and do the same thing, but they just didn't. They just sat off. They um, allowed City to have it. They didn't play a striker. They they, they just almost reverted to Mourinho tactics. Um, and it's disappointing because people around the world watched the Premier League and, and people around the world would, would have tuned into this game in the same sort of mindset that I was, that they were looking forward to seeing a spectacle. And that's why Sky Sports had it at four o'clock on a Sunday because you get people tuning in. And it was crap. It was just a really poor game of football. And it's a shame that City didn't batter them because yeah, I is. think I think that's what Chelsea deserved. And um, you look at any sort of highlights package of this game, I think there were possibly two shots on goal from Chelsea both right towards the end and the fact that one was from Victor Moses and one was from Marcus Alonso tells you everything that you need to know not good enough from Chelsea um, we say it week in week out Conte seems to have lost the squad and he will probably go in the summer but if Chelsea don't get into the Champions League this season then they're going to struggle to attract the sort of players that, that they've been able to in the last couple of years and that, then that could also See, see Hazard leave look at what happened with Alexis Sanchez at Arsenal this year they didn't yeah. get into the Champions League and he was off and, and Hazard could do the same. You can't have players who uh, are at the top of their game not representing a team in the in the Premier Club competition in Europe. It's just it's just not the way to do it. Absolutely, it's a very simple three points. Job done. On to the next one for Manchester City. Four more wins for the title, and uh, you wouldn't bank against any of that happening. One more game this evening, and that's their rivals, Manchester United, away at Crystal Palace. Quick prediction. I'm going to go with a draw in this one because yep. I watched the uh, the Palace game against Tottenham and I think they'll do similar tonight. I think they'll set up to, to, uh, to frustrate United. So I'm going to go for a 1-1. It's exactly what I was going to say as well. But for the difference, I will go for 2-all. We're going to get a few more goals. Join us after this short break for the quiz. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Sweeper Podcast and it's almost time for the quiz. But before we get there, Mitch is going to give you a rundown of how you can get in touch with us. Get us on Twitter at the Sweep Pod, Instagram and Facebook, the Sweep Podcast. Email us at the Sweep Podcast at gmail.com. And as ever, get on iTunes, subscribe, rate and review. 
all subscriptions, ratings, and reviews are very, very much appreciated. And if you're not on iTunes, get us on SoundCloud and send it to all your loved ones as well. We want as many listeners as possible, and we want all the feedback as well. So get in touch with us. It'd be great to hear from you. It would indeed. Mitch, come on, tell me. Put me out of my misery. Which team am I being quizzed on this week? We're going to everyone's favourite place. We're going to Burnley. Oh, my God. Yes, we're going to Burnley. And you are currently three points behind me on 21, whereas I've got 24. So to kick us off, and for you to get maybe two to three, tell me the capacity of Turf Moor. Turf Moor? Right. I've got no idea. Um, Obviously within a 1,000. 23,500. Incorrect. It's 21,944. So not a million miles away. Not a million miles away at all. They are the second longest inhabitants of their stadium, just as an FYI. Who's the... Everton, are they number one? No, I think Preston. Preston? Deepdale. Anyway, who does history tell us Burnley modelled their shirts on from 1910? (laughs) Um, I would imagine it's going to be Villa or West Ham. Um, I, I can't think of any European clubs that have got those colours what Trabs on Spore um, Aston Villa is correct after our famous early 1900s team well done 1-0 name me any players for that team uh, William Wilson okay no. <laughs> um, who scored Burnley's first ever goal in the Premier League I think I know this one yeah was it in a 2-1 defeat to Chelsea I can't tell you that if it was in a 2-1 defeat to Chelsea, I think it was Scott Arfield. No, it wasn't. It was in a 1-0 win over Manchester United, and it was Robbie Blake. Oh, I'm thinking second time round. Yeah, I think it was a Monday night game. I think the Scott Arfield one was the um, second time they, they came up, and uh, Fabregas played that amazing half-volley assist through to Hazard to score, and then I thought Arfield scored for Burnley, but didn't think about that one yet. No. How many times have Burnley won the FA Cup? They were quite... Were they quite good sort of 30s, Burnley? No. Not sure? No? Certainly okay. not in the FA Cup. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, want. Correct. In 1914. The glory years. <laughs> and to finish us off, Burnley are one of only three teams to have won all four divisional titles. Name one out of the other two. Oh, one of the other two, and I've got one guess. I mean, if you can name both of them, that'd be great. We don't get anything <laughs> extra. You've got one but guess. But I've only so. got one guess. Yeah. Um, I do not have a clue. Um, well, I have the only team that I've got in mind, but I think they. I I don't think they've won all four. They. They've definitely been promoted from. Th- from the old third division, second division, first division, and won the top division. Who's but that? That's Huddersfield. But I, I'm not sure. It's that not Huddersfield. Yeah, I'm not sure that they've. I was going to say I'm not sure that they've won those divisions. Um, I am going to have to go with so one of these sides hasn't played in the Premier League, and one has played in the Premier League. Right. Okay. And they've not won it obviously since the Premier League's been in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've they've won the old first yeah. division. Okay. Um. I think it's going to be somebody like. I don't think they've ever been down there. Leeds United. 
Incorrect. Wolves and Preston. Okay. I've got a lot of history. I knew it about Preston, did not know it about Wolves. Thought you may have researched it when you did the Wolves questions, so it might have cropped up then. But not to worry, you have got two points. I'll which take brings those two you points. One point behind me. Yeah, chasing. Chasing indeed, and hopefully that's the way it ends up for the rest of the season. Well, we've we we've got our heads together, haven't we? And we've said that the last two of the season we're going to do Aston Villa and Southampton. Which, thinking about it, we shouldn't have said because now we're just going to research the shit out of it. Well, no, I mean the thing is, the questions are going to have to be. Yeah, really we can't ridiculous. do capacity questions or anything like that. That they're going to have to be pretty, um, pretty different. But yeah, you're going to take Saints. I'm going to take Villa. Um, and yeah, we will we will see how we do. But I'll take my two points. Thank you everyone for joining us this week. We've had a great time as usual, and we will look forward to speaking to you next week. Some massive games in the Premier League next week. Villa are back in the Championship, yep. and uh, hopefully. You'll have two happy lads on Monday morning. Very happy lads would be the best thing ever. But thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure as always. Arrivederci. Au revoir.